Welcome to Broken Potholes with your hosts Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. For the first time, we are doing this solo. Just the two of us. Should be a fascinating conversation. No guests this week, but we do have some amazing, well, some of it's amazing, some of it's kind of awful news coming out all around the world, everything going on here in Arizona. You know. Well, thank you. Chuck, we, you have a great story, and let's start with that because, frankly, some of the stuff we're getting to makes my blood boil. Yeah, so. let's start with a positive note. So as all of us were having sweet dreams last night, um, Desiree Kraftsick, Kraftsick's her last name, Palm Desert-born, ASU women's tennis graduate, um, won the French Open Mixed Doubles. Uh, the tournament before that, she won the women's doubles. So she has been conquering the clay court season. For those of you who don't know, that's like winning a major in golf. So that's like winning the Masters or the U.S. Open. Or if you're triple crown followers, you won the Belmont or the Kentucky Derby. So it's really um, ASU tennis programs, both men and women, are really building some um, a powerful legacy, the men's. Um, tennis program, which started just three years ago, ended up number 20 this year. And then tonight, tomorrow morning, um, Bethany Mattel Sands, a Phoenix resident, she actually practices up by the JW Marriott Desert Ridge, will be in the women's double, women's double final tomorrow. Um, matter of fact, if you talk to the, the tennis pro up there at the JW Marriott, he will say he can always tell when she's there practicing just because he, the balls hit so hard he can hear it. So some good things coming out of Arizona regarding female tennis, and they are just conquering the world and something for us to be proud about. And for those um, women sports followers, this is also something to be very proud of. Again, this is um, Desiree Krasik, won the French Open Mixed Doubles, collected a cool six digits check, and congratulations to her. That's not a bad night. You know, Chuck, this is actually kind of something that's a bit of a pet peeve of mine, but I'm going to go back to by dislike of our current modern media environment, these things need to be covered more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Ab- absolutely. ASU absolutely. has great I mean, for sports example, outside of football why, and basketball. Why the local um, broadcast news stations and sports are not covering this is quite mind-boggling. I mean, you there is a real reality that Bethany Sands will win the women's doubles, and so you're going to have the mixed double champion and the women's double champion out of Arizona. Which is, um, it's, it's, it's incredible. Just, it's that's, just, a, that's a big yeah, deal. It, yeah. And this isn't just some, any tournament. This is one of the four grand slam events in the world. It's a big deal. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. For, for um, those who haven't watched our, it, clay court tennis is fantastically fun to watch, by the way. Very, very fun to watch and much different than grass and hard court. But uh, everybody check it out. Try to follow it a little bit and hopefully get the word out to to not only watch, but to support these women who are just literally conquering the world. Um, let's go to let's go to some news that making our blood boil. I want to start first with um, Maggie um, Haberman in The New York Times. And then I want to talk about the Lafayette Square situation, Sam. Um, yep. Maggie Haberman last night wrote um, in response to Senator Tommy Tuberville out of Alabama posted on Twitter, getting the vaccine is safe, effective, and free. I got mine, and let me tell you, it's worth it. And it's a, it's a good tweet pushing um, COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. And Maggie Haberman wrote, notable, period. The former president, meaning President Trump, 
who wants credit for the vaccines developed during his presidency has declined to take such step. Either Maggie B, either Maggie is illiterate or she's just a plain liar. She know that's not true because in March, Trump came out, did a video, tweeted on vaccine, that couldn't tweet obviously, but came out and did it through a news release on, on TV, said on vaccines, Trump tells his hesitant supporters, I would recommend it. Yeah, the only reason I, what the only reason she can even tell that story is because he got banned from Twitter and Facebook and he has promoted the vaccines from day one. I, that is just an absolutely it's beyond. It's wrong. an absolute it's 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 a lie. And then yes. also making the snide comment who wants credit for vaccines. You are simply not being honest with the facts. If you do not give President Trump credit for the vaccine development, right. that is simply that is not something even worth arguing about. That is the reality. And you can go and give the man credit and still hate him if that's what you want to do. Now, and, um, and he took a risk on that, Chuck, because frankly, I mean, look, they threw out a lot of the process that goes into vaccines when COVID first. hit. Yes, they did. We talked about the fact that a vaccine, the fastest I think we've ever put a vaccine to market before is like seven years. I, I forget if it was seven right. years or five years, but it's, it's a long time. He cut all the bureaucracy out of the way and took a big risk. If these vaccines had failed, if they didn't work, if they cause a lot of adverse, con you know, uh, adverse conditions, he would have been buried under an avalanche over that. Absolutely. And it's, it's just really atrocious that she makes such claims um and you, you read the comments to what she did um well, people it, in that twitter universe are just angry about it as you and i because it's just dishonest there's no other way to put it and even people in the medical community again who do not love trump have just simply said what he did was imperative to this vaccine coming to the markets and to people so quickly this is just not an argument. But then saying he's telling, you know, he's not pushing people to get the vaccine. Well, that's just simply not true. And if you wanted him to do more, I guess he should be on social media. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, so so that's 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 um that's a swing and a miss. Number one for the press this week. It's number two, for the New York some, Times. Well, New York Times does that every week. Um, the second thing that's really interesting is it came out yesterday a report from the Department of the Interior's Office of the Inspector General, which simply said law enforcement officials were not directed to clear Lafayette Park of protesters so that then President Donald Trump could stage a photo op at St. John's Church in Washington, D.C. last June. If you remember, all you saw on the nightly news, all you saw on cable, all you saw on Twitter is reporters saying Donald Trump had protesters cleared so he could have this photo op. And so obviously it was investigated by the inspector general of the interior department. And um, frankly, it was cleared so they could put up fencing it had nothing to do with Donald Trump and people are welcome to go read that. But here we have again, look for a, I know our conservative friends want to call this a Republican. It is, but we will use democracy for shorthand here for a democracy to survive to have honest debates, we have to have an honest press. Yes. And they are continually becoming no different than Pravda in the Soviet Union. They okay. are simply pushing an agenda and it's embarrassing. And these reports like this keep coming out 
And what they do know is they can make the accusation. Then there goes an investigation and they're not going to print much or write much or talk much about the actual facts once the investigation's done. And they simply did every chance because they did not like Donald Trump to go out and somehow make him look like a this boogeyman who did everything for himself. And I'm not saying none of us have questions about Donald Trump's motive sometimes. But again, here's another experience, another event that the national media over and over and over said, this is what happened. In reality, it did not happen that way. So I, I forget if it's, I think, Nicole Wallace, who has the MSNBC show and, and actually started out in the uh, Bush administration. But um, she has in been on air for, uh, you know, like six, nine months. I forget exactly now. She has done 100 and change shows. 20% of those shows, she's brought up this incident at Lafayette Park. 20% of those shows. When this news came out, silence. Silence. This is what we're getting. The Washington Post says democracy dies in darkness. Democracy is dying right now on their newsroom desk. And the New York Times, all the news that's fit to print, no, they don't do that. They have all the spin they believe you need. It is embarrassing at this point. And that leads us to something else. Another network... This one publicly funded NPR because yeah, so we've experienced it ourselves this week. Yeah, and Chuck, I, I got to say, you and I are both conservatives, right? But on this program, I think we have been very open to bringing in guests who have very different points of view, of giving them room to speak. I would say, and and listeners, you can contest this. Tell us if we're right or wrong. I would say we are more open to opposing and different views than 90% of the media out there. Does that, that sound fair? It sounds very fair. This is very true. Absolutely. So we reached out to NPR because they had an article about anti-Semitism and what's going on in this country and across the Western world. And it was a fascinating article. I don't want to give them credit for it at this point because we reached out to them. We asked them to have those their authors on the show, and what happened, Chuck? NPR NPR denied it. Now let's. I want to our readers, our listeners, not our readers, our listeners, understand that the authors of the article were willing to come on. Yes, but the powers to be at NPR did not want it to come on, and I don't know if that's because they feel this is a conservative show. I don't know because what the article references is that. The Jewish community is absolutely stunned, flabbergasted that their progressive allies are not are not only not defending them, but they're part of the anti-Semitic problem. And and this is the problem. And I'm not sure they wanted to, you know, A, they may not want us on the show, them on the show. But B, they may not want to discuss that the real problem right now in this country regarding attacking Israel anti-Semites is coming from the progressive community. Absolutely. It's not some white, not some white supremacist with a goatee and having an American flag on the back of the truck as they try to point them all out to be. This is literally happening when the progressive community among and among all those folks. And these articles stated there's a lot of people who are Jewish and progressive who are baffled that the people that they are actually fighting for tooth and nail 
The communities they do everything to protect are not there for them. And NPR does not want this discussed anymore. Chuck, I got to tell you, as a Jew, anyone who is baffled at this has not been paying attention because the left has embraced a a wing of their party that is blatantly anti-Semitic, that is blatantly anti-Jewish, anti-Israel. And they are elevating those voices and not allowing any criticism of them once again. It is a travesty. Broken potholes. It is a travesty. We have about 30 seconds, Chuck. Go ahead. All right. No, it's a travesty. And people and you know, people don't realize what is the origins and who are the groups that are really pushing this anti-Semitic behavior now. And people like NPR, frankly, I don't think they want it known. It's not the right broken potholes coming right back. The 2020 election is over. Now it's time for you to get ready to run for 2022. First step, getting your .vote campaign web address with your first and last name. Say your name is Janet Jones. A web address like www.janetjones.vote is the perfect way to get voters to remember your name all the while reminding them to vote. Visit GoDaddy today to kick off your 2022 campaign right. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your host, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Uh, Chuck, I want to bring up something that kind of a tragedy that's happened. Well, not kind of a tragedy. It's a horrific incident that happened here in Phoenix uh, about a week ago. We had a one of our Phoenix police officers in the northern part of the city uh, just before midnight in his cruiser headed through an intersection. And we had a vehicle with a drunk driver behind the wheel come through that intersection at well over, well over 100 miles an hour. T-Bone the cruiser literally sent it flying through the air, through a brick wall and into an adjacent parking lot. And in the course of that, Officer Gennaro knew uh, of the Phoenix Police Department lost his life. This is in one of those moments when you work in a city when you're when you're deeply connected to one that is very painful because all of our you know, we're a family and even even with all the attacks on police i think people understand this is this is one of those incidents there's really nothing anyone could have done about it uh, officer new certainly obviously you know had no time to react to this situation we have someone who's breaking the law in a really bad way and immediately I mean, immediately the next day, we have a bunch of people on the left here literally using – and these – by the way, this bothers me because these are the same people that attack our cops night and day. And then they want to turn around and use this incident with the officer new and his death and immediately use it for political purposes. So what do they do? They run out and say, this is why we need red light cameras. Well, that's just stupid. What we need are more police. Red light camera is not going to stop a drunk driver. There's no magic barrier that pops up and, and, you know, they blast into it instead of going into the intersection. Doesn't work that way. So we could have issued this guy a ticket after he died killing Officer New. What the heck would that ever have done? I'm really offended. 
Sam, one thing, and you've seen this firsthand, and I think this is important for listeners to understand. When an officer dies in the line of duty, and so, for example, in this year in the United States, so far as of June, nine officers have died being struck by a vehicle. That's not them being mm-hmm. shot. That's just nine. And, you know, there's various ways um, that, you know, this happens. But what happens? How does the law enforcement respond? What is the mood when a fellow officer dies in the line of duty? I don't think people understand the toll this takes on the law enforcement community. We often talk about, for example, if someone is um, uh, shot through, um, you know, whatever reasons we talk about the families, but you never really hear not only about the family of the fallen officer, but you don't hear about how does this affect their actual comrades, their peers, their colleagues in the law enforcement community when an officer dies in the line of duty. You know, Chuck, it, it's a great question because I, I don't think most people understand how close a police department is. And, that, and that's part of the thing behind the, the thin blue line. It, it's not merely an, I, you know, a, a stand on policy. These are people who live together year in and year out. They work together closely. They trust their lives to one another. And then when something like this happens, not only do they have all that grief and, and you know, for the family, they're often – Basically, all of our officers that I know are always having, you know, barbecues and things like that with with their friends from their department and the families know each other, the wives know each other. And, and, you know, I mean, just the the impact that has on them is enormous. But they also see their own lives in this, right? I mean, it's a really dangerous profession and and their wives see their their risk and – when you bring this home, and especially in this climate where police are getting called every imag- you know awful name imaginable, they're being attacked and defunded and and just treated treated so poorly by so many people. How do you do the job? That's what this brings back to: is these guys put such risk, their families take such risk. Every time that their husband leaves, the wife may never see them again. And then they go out there and they're disrespected and they're treated. They're called Nazis and pigs and murderers and rapists. And for doing a job that that gets them killed. Folks, I don't. Protecting protecting others. Protecting others. That's the whole point. You know, there's, you know, if you ever all remember, there was a great book by Stephen Ambrose called The Band of Brothers, which was later made to a miniseries. And the reason you say it is when you are in a profession, where there is significant risk, you do become this band of brothers or band of sisters. This is why, you know, family blood is so important. You go through certain things in life that people on the outside cannot understand or grasp or even feel. So I've often wondered and, you know, and can only assume that the death of a fellow officer is takes a real emotional toll upon that police officers, you know, the sheriff department, whatever case may be, it's, you know, because those people become like blood brothers, Chuck, blood I, sisters. I, the only analogy I can give, and, and this is something I'm going through right now, I know you've had to go through it, and I think anyone who's, who's reached adulthood has, is when you're dealing with an elderly or sick family member that you know you have a very limited amount of time left with them, and 
you know, you, you, you visit them, you, then you get on the plane to leave, and, and there is that pit inside of you that says, I may never see them again. Right. And, and, you know, imagine, folks, you've all been in that position. Now, take that feeling for the wife of an officer who has that feeling every day. Every day. Can you imagine how emotionally draining that is? I, I can't. I can't. No, you, you, you can't. You can't. Um, so what is going on with the Phoenix police situation? We know there's been an effort to defund. Um, Sam, why don't you talk about a little bit before we end this segment? Here. Yeah, you know, we, we've got just a couple of minutes left, but obviously this ties to what we're just talking about. There's been an effort to defund the Phoenix police. Right now we have 75 positions that are authorized that aren't filled. Um, and, and basically, we've been using that money to pay overtime and do all the other things to be able to patch and fill with a, with a really skeleton of a police force that we have right now. And there's this movement at City Hall to take those 75 positions away to get rid of overtime. We've handed out $400 million in COVID money this year, and none of it has gone to our first responders, to our police and fire. Um, they, they're creating centers to – literally centers they're, – they're putting new buildings up to hand out money to asylum seekers. That's what the city of Phoenix is doing with your money instead of doing the basic things like public safety. And it is I, unreal. I mean, it's unreal, Chuck. How do we? It's incredible. It's, it's incredible. And, um, I, and the problem is, is we've seen polling, which the Arizona Republic refused to um, publish when the, um, Phoenix uh, Fraternal Order of Police did a poll earlier this year with OH Predictive. You know, there is overwhelming support for our police officers for law enforcement. But if you listen to the news every day or read the newspaper, you would feel like there's just this majority of people who wanted to fund the police. Um, and it's just not true. No. And that's the other thing, too. This goes back to what we're talking about, the irresponsibility of the press right now. They know that's not true, but they keep pushing this agenda, and the facts don't back them up. No, they do not. And Broken Potholes, coming back with more in just a moment. Now more than ever before, we are relying on the internet to keep up with the news, stay in touch with friends, shop, and everything in between. That's why it's so important that you reserve your first and last name .vote web address for your upcoming campaign. Secure your digital real estate by owning your name with a .vote. Your name, your campaign, your very own .vote domain. Head to GoDaddy today. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. Um, I'm your host, Chuck Horn, with my colleague and co-host, Sam Stone. Sam, I want to talk a minute here about um, water. Is it, you know, you and I, if we just only talked about water every week, we would not have a show because people find it boring. Unless they turn the water on, the water doesn't come on. Um, but we have no real visionaries on this right now. We talked briefly last week that I think Governor Ducey has really tried to hit this problem. Um, Senator Kyle has been a, a leader on this issue. But we have to have some leadership for the West like we had when um, former President Eisenhower um, basically passed 
the Federal Aid Highway Act of 56, which was basically our inter interstate highway system, which was, you know, extends throughout the contiguous United States and Hawaii and Alaska and so forth. We don't have anybody providing that type of long-term vision right now for water. Um, no. And it's something the West has to go focus on. There's, um, you know, you brought the point, which most people don't understand about water. Um, water also affects our grid. Vegas Lake Mead is at historic lows. Mm -hmm. You're almost at the point now where that's really going to affect the electric grid. But besides electric grid, you know, you need water to survive. And the West is growing and we need water and someone needs to start tackling this problem and it's not going to make everybody happy but it has to be attacked and attacked right away yeah i mean what i think people don't understand the majority of people in the southwestern united states essentially rely on one river system the colorado river system for our water and it, there are just too many people uh, that's simple fact at this point there are more people than we have water and this is an issue that, I mean, it goes back to so much. You talked about it. We don't have the visionaries. We don't have the Eisenhower. We don't have even the FDRs. I mean, I'm hesitant to say that, folks, I know. But, but we don't have anyone really stepping up. And I think this is where you miss John Kyle. You miss John McCain. Um, you know, I, there's no leadership here that's bringing people together. People in California, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico – all of us are in this boat together, and we better come up with a solution. And our solution at this point is we need more water. We can't count on it raining. Yes, we do. So we got to come up with something. You've talked about bringing in a pipeline, right? Well, there's a pipeline, you know, and, and, and that may be, you know, and some, some critics have said, you know, the problem is that it, we don't have the decades to worry about this of all the lawsuits. And this would have to be something where governors and the president would just have to simply do executive orders or whatever the case may be to speed this process up. You almost sort of need a, <laughs> a Trump approach to the vaccine. Yeah. Um, all right, we're tearing everything down. This is what you got to do because, you know, there, there's tremendous waters in, and then the Mississippi, um, the Southeast is, you know, dealing with flooding all the time. There's water to be piped in and that's one way, but that's very ambitious, um, to do it. Um, you know, what we have to do is look at other options. There's desalinization with Mexico. I'm sure Mexico would love the income, and I'm sure we'd love the water. Yep. Um, now, what, what other options are there, Sam? It really, those are the only two. I mean, unless we come up with some crazy new technology for extracting a lot of water from the atmosphere, which I, obviously I think would have some consequences here where it's already super dry, um, we've got to go one of those two routes or both. We've got to pipe in water from the Midwest from where we have plenty of it, or we've got to build national scale desal with, with Mexico probably as a partner with all these states, and we've got to get aggressive. And you're right. You've got to take a Trumpian approach and cut every bit of regulation out of it, throw it all out of the way. Every environmental group that pops up and whines about the thing, you literally just need to take a hammer to them and smack them back down into the ground because they're in the way of what needs to happen. Well, one thing, too, that people have to realize, um, and, and, and they just have to realize that if you want to live in the Southwest, water is going to get expensive. Yes. And you're just going to have to understand that. And that's, you know, why we have low taxes in a lot of ways and low regulations. 
we're going to be at a point where water is going to become very expensive. I mean, for example, they're talking about um, Arizona Department of Water may join Nevada in an effort to recycle 170,000 acre feet of California wastewater annually instead of dumping mm-hmm. it to the ocean. It's a great idea. Yep. But that costs money. Desalinization costs money. If you do the desalinization at the Sea of Cortez, that could deliver 200,000 acres of water a year. Yep. Um, similar to projects in California. But again, that's expensive. So it's not only expensive what you have to pay monthly, but we're probably going to have to pass either the legislature or an initiative. They're saying we're going to go and invest three, four, five hundred million dollars in the water. Yes. It's as simple as that. Well, and it, people have to accept that. It might be three, three hundred billion dollars, Chuck. But if that's what it takes, that's what has to happen. And somebody needs to step up with a vision for it now. Broken potholes coming right back. When you're running for office, your name is on the ballot. So why not have your website be your name? If your name is John Smith, you need a .vote web address that says www.johnsmith.vote. 2022 will come faster than you think. Visit GoDaddy today and kick off your new campaign with a new personalized web address. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. Something we haven't done in a few weeks here. The sunshine moment with the irrepressible Kylie Kipper. She has a story for us today. She brings sunshine into the studio every week. And she's bringing it to you now. Thank you for having me back. I've missed you guys the past couple of weeks, but we know you don't Aww. want to be on here. We know you don't want to be talking. You don't need to I lie. I love talking with you guys. <laughs> um, but this Hungarian couple, I'm going to use couple lightly just because going into this trip, they knew each other for three months. However, they came, they were paddling down the Danube River <laughs> when they came across two rare white tailed eagles stuck together, um, essentially drowning. So they had to think quickly used what was in their kayaks, and they um, used a rope to separate these eagles and basically save their lives and free them. Um, it's likely that they got stuck together because they were fighting, and fighting never leads to anything good, you know? Oh, there you go. And you know what? We need to make, we need to go ahead. We should make these people honorary Americans. Anybody who's saving eagles, <laughs> they're with us. I agree. Well, remember, you know, I mean, Kyla, you're not old enough to remember this. Sam and I do. I mean, bald eagles oh. were um, they were they were on the verge of extinction. Yes. And it is one of the um, they were actually removed from the list of endangered and threatened wildlife in 2007. I mean, but when Sam and I were young, there was talk that they were going to go the way of the white rhino. Um, and they are a magnificent creature. I also understand why the founding fathers use the eagle they are they are hunters they are mean they are beautiful um i you know i've had the opportunity for several times in my life to go up fishing in canada and you're on a boat and the your guides would go and get these little cods you catch or some you know some fish you're not really there for and they would just throw those things up in the air and those eagles would come get it 
they are a magnificent creature and it's amazing just the comeback. And again, I, you know, we have a lot, especially on our side of the ideology who moan and groan about environmental regulations, but the list of endangered threatened wildlife has been a godsend to saving a lot of creatures from extinction. You, you know, actually, and that ties to one that the left uses all the time, right, Chuck, which is polar bears, which right. have made a huge comeback since they got on that list because it's not actually climate change or the habitat loss that has put polar bears on that list, but mm -hmm. it is hunting. And yeah. with the yeah, eagles, yeah. it was the same thing. It was people hunting them for their feathers and all these types of things. Uh, well, it's an enormous it, it's success. It's incredible. Well, yeah. And just the last point, we get some issues here. But I remember our guides tell me, I said, you know, their wingspans are so big. And I asked the guide once, I go, well, how big do they get? He goes, oh, between six and seven feet wings, wingspan. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible bird. And especially if you've not seen one in the wild, it's, it's truly majestic. So absolutely um, Sam, majestic. Let, Keep your small pets inside. Uh, folks, before we get to our final part here, we want to tell you that next Friday or next Saturday, sorry, on our show, we will have Congressman Drew Ferguson, who is the chief deputy whip for the House Republicans in the U.S. Congress. He also serves on the Committee of Ways and Means. We are lucky to have him on. Um, again, Congressman Drew Ferguson um, of Georgia, who is also the chief deputy whip for the U.S. Congress for the Republican Party. So join us on that. It'll be a good interview. And we look forward to having him. Let's talk about the Let's talk about the flow of um, people moving to Arizona. Um, it's it's our, I think what we're getting is a bit different than what they're getting in Florida. Two weeks ago, Sam, we had Ryan Tyson on, um, the, one of the most well-known pollsters and numbers guys in Florida. And he was talking about the new move-ins to Florida from out of state, that the 72%, you know, that they're increasing um, their voter registration with the new, new move-ins by 20 points. It's, it's significant what's what's going on there, the new move-ins. I don't think we're experiencing quite the same in Arizona. Um, I think it's more majority Democrat, but not quite as bad as I think a lot of Arizonans think. But it's still, we have people moving into Arizona from California that are moving for lower taxes, <laughs> how, affordable housing, less regulation. Drivable streets. Boy, drivable streets, but boy, they want to go and vote for the same junk that they left it's incredible chuck and and i think we are a little different there are some numbers in idaho too where you know between 2016 and 2020 trump like tripled his margin in winning idaho and really mm -hmm. that was just people from seattle from portland who got fed up with the liberalism and decided to move to idaho beautiful country arizona's a little different we have a lot of people coming here where their corporation is relocating for those taxes, for those regulations, for all the opportunity Arizona offers versus a state like California. But then those employees have a, have a choice between losing a job or moving to Arizona. That's different. I think a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives are choosing to move from the coasts. Arizona may be a lot of people. I, I don't think it's bad if people think, but I think it is a lot of folks who aren't making the choice themselves. And it's a little different. It, it is a little different. And that's a very good insight onto it. You know, for example, um, you know, Red Bull, which people probably don't realize, is finishing up a 700,000 square foot expansion uh, in Glendale, which all Red Bull, if you drink it in the United States, will come out of that facility. 
I don't think most people realize that right now. If you buy a Red Bull, it comes it comes from comes from Germany. They so, ship it over on a boat. I did not so this know will that. Be the first, yeah, so this is being <laughs> built there. And as a matter of fact, in the last two weeks, all the executives have been here, and um, <laughs> and they um, you know, they've been a little surprised by the heat, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, yeah. So you have a seven hundred thousand square foot manufacturing facility and if you're going to get red bull here or central america or mexico isn't come from glendale arizona and where before it all came from germany well so and so you're going to be so drinking a lot of in? glendale water right chuck that's that's what you're telling exactly. us here. <laughs> yeah, exactly no one talked to him about the water situation so anyway um we are we, we're getting these moves and i think for conservatives to to continue to win elections and to continue to enact policies that has made Arizona such an attractive option for people moving their businesses here. They're going to have to understand who is moving in and start doing some serious education campaign and pick up their voter registration activities. It's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the education's really key because there's a big disconnect always between policy and outcome. And you and I've talked about this on the show before, but California, New York, the traffic jams there aren't a policy outcome of Vision Zero, which is a progressive policy designed to push people out of cars by making driving impossible. And they're doing it. Um, that's creating one situation, homelessness. Their approach to homelessness with housing first and essentially enabling homelessness, street, longtime street homelessness, enabling drug use. And not treating, you know, just stepping in and treating all the mental health issues that are associated with street homelessness is creating more homeless people. So all those problems that are related to that, that again is a policy that's come from progressives. Housing. I don't care if you build a million dollar per unit apartment building or you build a $25,000 per unit apartment building. A unit is a unit is a unit. A house Whatever it is, the more you build, the lower the rates go. Tokyo, the pretty much, I think it is the densest city on earth, right? Their, yes. Their rent for a two-bedroom apartment is about 30% less than it is here in Phoenix. And that's without any government subsidy whatsoever. I mean, th these are policies, folks, when you fight new development. When you try to drive people out of automobiles, when you coddle homelessness, you're going to get the problems that come from those things. And you've got to make a decision. You came here. You left that behind. If you're listening to this and you've always, you know, you come here from California, you've always voted Democrat. You really need to stop and think, because if you mess up Arizona, where are you going to run? Yeah, um, I, I, I just I don't understand the mentality of leaving one area because the taxes are too high, the government's too involved in my life, the housing is unaffordable, and so let me move to this new place and bring all those policies that brought about those high costs. I mean, I mean, I suppose. It's I, what is what 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 is the mental disconnect there? I don't know. It's sort of an Arizona tradition, though, because back in the day, everyone got sent out here by their doctor to avoid all their allergies and pollens that they grew up with on the East Coast and the Midwest. And then they brought their plants with them. So now our allergies are worse here than they are there. I mean, they, you know, 
can we learn a little bit at some no, point? We, I, sadly, we can't. Let's talk briefly here about um, Governor Abbott has come out and said that he's going to start building, Texas to start building a border wall. He hasn't given any details or the cost, but I'm pretty sure the Texas legislature will give him what he wants regarding the cost to build the wall. I think they will too. Um, my, my question, Chuck, is how do you do it? Because you don't have real access to the border as the state government. You know, no, are you going to no, step I, I don't, on I don't, the federal border? I, I don't know. I mean, that's, and that's, you know, one of the many details that has to be answered. My question is, Sam, um, because you deal a lot with constituents and various groups, how would such a proposal fly? 50 love the idea, 50 hate it. What, what would, what would it be? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, it, I think if the policy works at all, if, if Texas can make this work, what you're going to have is a big call in Arizona and other states to, to replicate it. Um, right. I have a hard time seeing it working. I'm a little concerned about that. But, hey, if it works, it works. This is a crisis, folks. This is a humanitarian crisis. You're putting a lot of women and children in harm's way. You're putting a lot of people in this country in harm's way. You got to do something about it. Trump was. Biden isn't. Matter of fact, one of my favorite news stories this week is, you know, everybody was rightfully so mocking or scratching their head about Kamala Harris's answer about did she visit the border? And There's a reason well, she finished last in the primary, yeah. isn't there? It is. But then at the same time, when she was in Guatemala and did a press conference, she was very clear. Don't come. Stay, stay here. Don't come. And she was very clear and and I feel conservatives need to commend her for just being blood about it. She didn't equivocate on it. No. But so then you go and read the Arizona Republic article on it. <laughs> and all these groups are saying, she's cruel. She's cruel. Um, <laughs> it's sort of the damn if you do, damn if you don't, right? Hey, look, the Democrat um, Party is- cannot claim that they're not open borders anymore because their leading politicians no. clearly are. Stop lying. Stop pretending. Uh, but I, I do want to touch before we, we run out of time here today, Chuck, on something I, I had, you know, the opportunity when I was a kid. I'm sure you did, too, to read JFK's Profiles in Courage. Which, Correct. Folks, if you haven't read it and you're interested in politics at all, go get it. I don't care what you think of JFK. I don't care what you think of Republican Democrat. It's a great book. We have a Profile in Courage moment going on here in Arizona right now with Kirsten Cinema because she is standing up on no no getting rid of the filibuster and taking a huge amount of flack from her party. It it really is remarkable what she is doing in Mansion out in West Virginia, but I think Krista's situation is much more tenuous than his politically. Um, and you know, I keep hearing all the time we have our friend of the show Bill Sh- Bill Schneer from um, Washington Monthly and Politico, and he continually asked me questions. Why has she changed? And I said, I don't think she's ever changed. I think this is who she is. Um, I think because, you know, this is sort of like judging the book by a cover. I think what has happened is we have all misjudged her because she has pink hair and she wears some, you know, (laughs) very trendy at the moment, fashionable outfits. And so therefore you must say, She's a liberal, you know, and she's a progressive liberal. She is as far left as she can. 
But she doesn't govern that way. She hasn't governed that way since she's been in Congress. And I'm not saying she's a moderate. I think people who say that are full of it. She's left of center, but she's not left, left, left of center. And she believes in institutions. Yet she clearly has respect for the institutions and the traditions of this country. And folks, I don't mind getting in trouble standing up for someone on the other side of the aisle who does that. It's kind of what Broken Potholes is about. We'll be back next week. Fantastic interview coming up. Don't miss it. Running for office? You need a campaign website. Introducing the web address of the democratic process, .vote. So how do you purchase your .vote website? Visit www.yourname.vote. Type your website name, example www.johnsmith.vote. It's available. Add your web address to your cart and check out. Once checked out and have received confirmation, you may begin to create and utilize your website to connect and engage voters. To learn more, visit get.vote. Happy campaigning.